0: The Blaze Radio Network On Demand The Morning Blaze with Doc Thompson This is nonsense You cannot go this deep into it and go This little girl Threaten people she We will not danger. tolerate She she is a danger is what they're saying But we'll, well let her back in I'll the school in the We're school. not going to call the police yeah. Something like that That's yeah, just yeah, insane overboard. Right, that's crazy talk and there is the failure with all of us. The Morning Blaze, weekday morning, six to nine Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome to this on the Blaze Radio Network. This is the place where you get that American Muslim patriot with the strength, the courage to address those topics that you won't find elsewhere. I take a deep dive every week with you, my faithful listeners who believe that and understand that the solution to radical Islam is going to come from within the House of Islam. The solution to reform is going to come from within the House of Muslim reformers who are willing to take up ideological arms against the Islamist, the growing movement globally. And this is, I believe, this podcast is my small contribution to your education, to your depth of understanding, week to week, of where we are on this battlefront. Some weeks we'll dive deeply into the theological issues, the cultural issues, Other weeks, we'll look at the political land front and and what we can do to make our our country, our nation safer, more rooted in its values without surrendering to the Islamists' global hegemony. And I thank you for coming back if you've listened before. And if you're new, thank you for trying to find another voice, a moderate voice of understanding where I can spend a little longer than I do on some of the networks where I get 20-second shots at uh, my opinions. Here, you and I can spend uh, four segments together and uh, dive deeply into the issues that you and I and our families care about. This week, sadly, we're seeing the staccato, the uh, ramping up of uh, ISIS attacks and Obviously, the the elephant in the room is the major act of terror that occurred in Las Vegas. It appears now, and it's pretty obvious that uh, a gentleman, sixty-four years old, by the name of Stephen Paddock, completed this heinous act of barbarism using somewhere upwards of nineteen, twenty different firearms, long-range rifles in which from the 32nd floor of the Mandalay Bay Hotel he started firing into a country music concert of Americans who did absolutely nothing to deserve that kind of heinous terrorism and barbarism. We, we have no knowledge yet of exactly what was motivating him. 58 were killed. I'm not going to put him in that number. He is not a human being, but a thankfully dead 59th, but he's not a victim. He is the perpetrating criminal. 58 innocent lives, dead, over 600, almost 600 injured in some way, and the vast, vast majority of them were related to gunfire he had thousands upon thousands now it's being reported that somewhere almost 2,000 rounds were in this hotel room the number of questions we have is just innumerable and yet little answers we'll get back to uh, Las Vegas in a second but I have to start out by saying this week actually started with two ISIS attacks one in France and another in Edmonton, Canada. In France, two women were stabbed to death last Sunday in a suspected terrorist attack to the Marseille train station in southern France. The assailant had been shot to death immediately, well, a few minutes after stabbing these poor women. Sky News reported that he shouted Allahu Akbar as he carried out the attack at the Gare Street at the uh, Gare Saint-Charles. She had one woman had her throat slit and the other was stabbed to death. Man was late 20s, North African background. He had been waiting in Marseille central station to attack apparently. It happened at about 2:30 in the afternoon and was quickly labeled an act of terror. On that same day Five were injured in Edmonton, Canada, when a police officer was stabbed and at least four people were injured by a speeding U-Haul truck, another act of vehicular jihad, in events that police in Edmonton Canada Edmonton, Canada said were being investigated as acts of terror. One suspect was in custody and it was believed. As Edmonton Police Chief Rod Connect said that the suspect acted alone. It had happened outside the Commonwealth Stadium where a Canadian Football League game was being played and a white Chevy Malibu was uh, had rammed a traffic control barricade and sent the police officer flying who had been the target. Driver then got out, and attacked the officer with a knife. The officer was stabbed multiple times but he had not been critically wounded. A few hours later, a U-Haul van was stopped at an impaired driving check check stop and the driver sped off with police in pursuit. He injured four pedestrians before he rolled and the suspect was arrested. There were people flying, as witnesses said. It was believed to be an act of obvious terror. How many of these are we going to have? We see almost now weekly in the West, the week before you and I talked about previous uh, Syrian refugee that had committed an act of terror in London. And now we have Las Vegas. And in Las Vegas, this guy just doesn't fit the profile at all. And actually, nothing about anything he did even suggests Islamism, Islamist intent, Islamist-inspired terrorism, but rather this appears to be obviously some kind of domestic-inspired terrorism. I do believe it's political. The target was apparently country music concert, which most people would obviously believe may represent in some way Trump supporters. They had only an hour before been singing God Bless America, waving their lighters and their cell phone lights, and iconically it's represented that core American voter, who only months ago elected President Trump. We don't know the motivation, but the point is, after looking at all of the ISIS attacks, nothing about this screamed ISIS, and yet, within a f- few hours, ISIS, on their mock news agency, declared that this was theirs to take credit for. They actually posted two different posts. One that said from the Amak agency Las Vegas attacker is a soldier of the Islamic State who carried out the attack in response to calls for targeting coalition countries. He responded to calls for targeting coalition countries. And I'll remind you Las Vegas had been noted last summer in 2016 that they were calling for attacks on the Strip and that security statuses had been heightened alert in Las Vegas. Who knows if this guy ends up being connected to ISIS, in which there is no evidence to that so far. Maybe that's when he started, because what he did had an unbelievable amount of planning. Unbelievable. And we'll get into that in a second. I am horrified, as every American citizen is, that what, not only what transpired, we don't even know what to say anymore. The phrase thoughts and prayers, what does that mean anymore? My thoughts and prayers, my condolences to the families, the stories that many of the media have been bringing to us every night, every hour, of every family that was touched. Of those almost 600 injured, there are tens of thousands of affected direct family members that hear of the heroism of off-duty police officers, who are never off-duty, of innocent strangers who decided to shield somebody under them, somebody before them. When they realized where the bullets were coming from, they told them to duck and they hid for them police officers who went first to the scene that still didn't know what was happening, who were wearing vests and said, hide behind me, I have a vest on. Story after story of inspiration of what it means to be an American. We cannot let this change who we are. We cannot let not only the rapid increase in ISIS attacks, it should, it should steal our resolve to treat the disease of radical Islam, and radical Islamism and ISIS. But we should not allow these sort of counter-coup injuries that happen where who knows what's stimulating these other attacks. But I have to tell you, in the next segment, I'm going to read to you one of the Islamist responses to what happened in Las Vegas. Because right now it looks to the profile that this guy had nothing to do with Islamic radicalism, what was very similar to Hodgkinson, who, who shot Congressman Scalise, and attacked so many of the congressmen who were playing baseball many months ago. And again, it was a a form of domestic-hardened radical terrorism. What radicalized them? We still don't know what the ideology is, but there's nothing about it that appears to be Islamist. Now, it may be exposed to be such. Later, And in the third segment, I'm going to talk to you about what that could be, because of the Philippines' connection. But that's all deep, deep conjecture, which we need to talk about as we educate one another about what's happening with this case. But I think one of the most important things I want to leave you with is that it is downright essential that we not make this the new normal. That when Edmonton, Mersey, London, Chattanooga, St. Bernadine, all these different towns that have been attacked by radical Islamists. we not allow it to be a new normal. And then when there are other attacks, we also not allow that to dominate the minimization of the previous threats that we have. We can, as Americans, fight many battles at the same time. The battle for our own health care, the battle for our own independence and free markets, liberty and constitutional law and national security and foreign policy. All of these things can be done by the same country, the same people at the same time. And yes, our prayers are with every American citizen, and especially with those that lost family members to the ultimate sacrifice on what is the new front lines in American freedom. Our gatherings, our assemblies of concerts and music and... and joy, are now being attacked. But we cannot let this change who we are. Many people are telling you there would have been no way to prevent this other than possibly the skyscrapers, the 32-floor-type buildings somehow figuring out a way to make sure that many arsenals are not accumulated in their rooms. How do you do that? Those are private rooms. No different than a storage space, at a locker, or anywhere else. They're private rooms. But we are at war. Our response to it should never be to change who we are or what we stand for. God bless every American. God bless the families. And yes, our thoughts and prayers are with you. I don't care about the memes out there, about the minimization of what it means. And I hope those two Democratic Congress people from Massachusetts, and uh, um, I think it was Connecticut—I can't remember the other state—who decided not to have participate in the moment of silence for the victims in Las Vegas, that they be marginalized and ridiculed for how unAmerican they are. We start many of our regular duties with prayer. We understand the importance of coming together to recognize courage and heroism. And this is no different than their cheap, cheap attempt. And the lives lost to politicize it will not go unnoticed. When we come back, I want to talk to you about A quote from an Islamist, which we will leave unnamed, or I'll tell you the name that they put, but that really epitomizes the cultural ideological battle that we are fighting in this war domestically. As It's almost as if each identity, each minority politic is using acts of terror— To avoid the realities that we need to confront. When we come back, this is Zudi Jasser on Reform This.
0: You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser, the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser,
1: the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Our country is reeling again from now was the largest mass shooting, most heinous mass shooting ever in recent history on American soil. We know very little about the shooter and information is flowing as we learn about it. I try to remind my friends who say that, well, if it's a Muslim, you hear about it right away, that, you know, the Islamists are broadcasting what they're doing as they do it. Omar Mateen called 911 himself and wanted to declare allegiance to ISIS. So this guy is probably not ISIS, doesn't appear to be in any way, has no sense of uh, uh, expressing his desire to defeat the infidels, to do all the things that uh, are apparently part of the Islamist, the jihadi soldier in the jihadi movement. Uh, as much as ISIS tried to claim credit for it, a soldier committing that act without anybody knowing that he was a jihadi soldier is bizarre. of the inspiration and perspiration of jihadis is flowing out of their pores as they do the act. Now, they'll spend years in isolation and years in preparation, and that's why many of them will not have been predictable. But this guy really doesn't seem to fit that. But the story's still, still early. It's still coming together, and we don't know... The full details. Every time, who would have guessed in 9-11 that airplanes would be used as weapons, and now it seems to be part of what we understand to be the normal playbook of Al-Qaeda and radical Islamists. So every day the playbook's being rewritten by folks who unfortunately are ahead of the strongest, most powerful, freest nation on the planet, because they can do anything in asynchronous warfare and targeting What makes us free, what makes us open, what makes us the greatest threat to political Islam and the Islamic states across the planet is our freedom, and they attack that. They make us, as a community, as a country, writhe and want to change who we are. And make no mistakes, that's not only unique to Islamists, fascists of any stripe, the skinheads, the... Nazi, neo-Nazi movements also want to destroy the Constitution and change us into a fascist state that's all white or all one color and they look upon diversity as a threat. They're not Americans. They're un-American. The bigger global threat is radical Islamism. Domestically, we have our issues with fascism and we need to deal with it, but... One thing you and I have talked about before many times is the lack of moral equivalency. The lack of proportionality. Yeah, when you do the numbers, you may find that there are more acts of individuals who have been killed by acts of terror completed by domestic terrorists. But... And when we say domestic terrorists, I should just say non-Islamist terrorists. But... Do the numbers. Out of 360 million million Americans, over 200 million of them are white. So when you have over 60% of the population, psychopathy, uh, um, radicalism, fascism, all these things are going to drive some acts of hate and hate crimes that might exist ...in their movements that neo-Nazis includes for skinheads... ...somewhere upwards of one to two million people. And even when they try to have rallies as they did in Charlottesville... ...they barely get a few hundred. And yet they say, well, you know, if you do the numbers, it appears... ...and as Time Magazine now this week said... ...there were more Americans killed by white nationalists... ...and white supremacists than by Islamists, they said... Radical Muslims. But the reality is there's only three to four million Muslims. So if you do the proportionality there with over 200 million white Americans, you're talking about 150th. So you'd have to have 50 times more deaths by whites supremacists than by radical Islamists in order to be proportionally related to be sourced by the branding of the identity movements that you're talking about in order to profile profiling doesn't work anyway because Muslims could be of any faith I'm sorry, Muslims could be of any uh, racial extraction my point here is that it goes beyond our domestic analyses Our domestic analyses are related to using the platform of freedom and liberty to counter Islamism, to counter the theology that is breeding the Wahhabist Salafi jihadism that is a threat to American existence and freedom. And that is a global threat that includes Iran, Saudi Arabia, Pakistan, all these Islamic republics, and ISIS is simply the tip of the iceberg. So therefore, if you're going to counter that movement of hundreds of millions of Muslims that believe in political Islam, the Muslim Brotherhood, the Ikhwanis, the Khomeinists, the Taliban, etc., these huge movements, America has a unique responsibility. So pressure on American Muslims to wake up and lead that and not be silent and complicit is very important. But now this week, in the wake of this heinous act of militancy in which a a concert, a country concert in Las Vegas turned into a war scene out of Fallujah in Iraq or Aleppo, in which bullets were raining down from high above, And wounded were running to their families and screaming in agony. And 58 died and 600 were injured in Las Vegas. We have to pay attention to what that cause is. And many now are obviously the left is talking about gun control. Somehow if you take weapons away from innocent Americans, that's going to decrease the number of white supremacists that have. And this guy had no record. He had no social media footprint. I defy anyone to say that no matter how much restrictions you put on weapons, you could have kept them out of this guy's hand. There's no proof. Because if there was, we'd be knowing a lot more about Mr. Paddock than we do today. And I have to share with you the nonsense that the Islamists have been putting out. There's a hashtag that I'm even offensed to even talk to you about, but I think is important to understand what I deal with and the reform movement against the Islamists, which is the white privilege hashtag. It's about white privilege. That's what they call it, white privilege. And, you know, I want to tell these people that say that, that use this hashtag, get out of the country then. If you think this country is all about white privilege and, and, and hypocrisy, why do you stay here? They're so self-loathing and, and, and liars about it. There's this guy, Amir Zahar, from the University of Detroit Mercy, that said, well, the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando was immediately labeled terrorism before it was concluded that it was much more complicated, as we found out later. And yet he said, the media immediately gives white men the privilege of acting as an individual. Days have gone by and we don't know the religion of this guy, Paddock. And even something much more offensive is posted online by the likes of Zahir who states, somebody states online, an Islamist who writes, Do you know what white privilege is? He writes, it is to murder over 50 people and injure 450, only to have the authorities claim within minutes and without any verification that you are not a terrorist. It is to commit the largest mass murder and shooting in recent American history and be described as a retired grandfather. It is to inflict pain and suffering on others and not have to worry that a single person of your race or religion or your women and children face any backlash for your crime. It is to kill. Rape, loot, plunder, or colonize and get away with it without bringing up irrelevant issues like religion, scripture, culture, theology, or ideology. As of this writing, we still have no idea of the religion and beliefs of the killer. It is essentially to consider any such incident to be a freak accident and let life continue without changing any policies or calling for national dialogues about laws or immigration. And then at the end, this, this creature says... This post in no ways intends to trivialize the tragic loss of life. My sincerest condolences to the families and the victims of this horrible tragedy. This is beyond offensive. There's no trust in the media or anything. There's no trust in the fact that you don't think 300 million Americans looking at what happened would have figured out what this guy is with social media. No, it's some big conspiracy that his information is being withheld Because all the information we get after attacks happens to come always from the government and from the police. Rather than coming from media, uh, uh, citizen journalists, uh, investigative reporters, think tanks, government, representatives, and others that continue to dig. It took us five, four days or so after the Orlando shooting to even get the 9-11 tapes of Omar Mateen himself speaking. Because they were protecting Muslims. So these Islamists who talk about now hashtag white privilege because they somehow equate... is If this turns out to be a hate crime, obviously there's hate involved, but once we figure out what his ideology is, if they still think that this compares to the global movement of Islamist governments and their ideology that drives militants to commit acts, they completely are, are either part of an operational propagandist tool in the West or they're just complete unmitigated idiots. And I, as a Muslim reformer, and every Muslim that's honest, knows that if you're going to put hashtag white privilege and you're an American Muslim and you've said nothing to reform the ideas, I'm sorry, I have no respect for you. I have no respect for you. I'll debate you. You have the freedom. I'll defend your freedom to say these things, but it is purely unmitigated anti-Americanism and Russian or Islamist or Chinese or or, or fascist propaganda against what America really is. You saw the words in what I just read you. The likes of Amr Zahar put out these words like colonize, Imperialize. As if that somehow is the truth of what is and what is not America. I'll come back after the break and we'll continue talking about the double hip, supreme hypocrisy of Islamists. This is Zudi Jasser.
0: Reform this with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser.
1: This is Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. You know, I was telling you about the hashtag the Islamists are putting out after the Las Vegas horror almost 600 injured, 58 killed. The hashtag is white privilege. It's not we all need to work together to fix our own houses. No. That would be, a, I think, a very smart, very American way to approach this and say, you know what, we Muslims have problems we need to fix and reform. If this guy ends up being a white supremacist, please, those of you in, in, in that community that feel you can impact those ideas, fix your house. But no, you have people like Amr Zahar getting on TV and talking about the fact that terrorism has become a slur that only equates to being Muslim. When you look globally at the tens of thousands killed, yes, most being killed are Muslim, but the bottom line, it's Islamist radicals that are doing it. And there's a global threat that includes a country on the verge of getting nuclear weapons that constantly is saying death to America and death to Israel that is relevant to our domestic policy, and not to mention American Muslims, the reason the anti should be up for us. We are uniquely positioned in the lap of freedom to to promote and promulgate the advocacy of ideas that can fix this problem. But no, instead the Islamists are writing screeds about white privileges to kill and maim and rape without bringing up irrelevant issues like religion or scripture. God, these people have no shame. Are you serious? The white privilege hashtag now by Islamists is saying that if it's not a Muslim, nobody cares about his origin or anything. They're not even intellectually honest to understand That the facts are what they are. We don't know with this guy. He was under the radar. Maybe he worked for the government and went rogue. Who knows? When somebody has no social media footprint, that is not something by accident. It is something he stayed away from intentionally, and thus it's going to make it a lot harder for us to find out who he is, what he thinks, and why he did something. The pieces that the police may release may be related to them not jeopardizing ongoing investigation because of the network involved. Maybe this guy's wife had very little to do with it because he went to the Philippines two or three times. Maybe in the Philippines he connected with radical ISIS elements that right now are at full-fledged war in Marawi, a town in which mosques have turned from simply being areas of prayer in which the minarets have become established, Ports, portals, for ISIS fighters to shoot down Philippine government soldiers. Now I'm not saying the Philippine government is is uh, uh, clean on this. They're corrupt. They've been using uh, a martial law and other things in order to suppress rights of their people, including Muslims. But at the end of the day, all of these facts come to play until we understand what's happening. To say that somehow in this case it's being treated different is just beyond ignorant. The levels of conspiracy necessary to suppress information in an open and free society like America is just impossible. I think in both any cases, the government has been restricted in what it released based on what would become publicly available. Chattanooga, they released the guy's name, and immediately people would see what was on his Facebook page. And then he released that he wanted to establish Islam on earth. That was on his social media. 911 calls should be public. They all are public right away. From Omar Mateen. The Tsarnaev brothers. People knew him. He was obviously Muslim. He wanted to be a boxer. One of them did. And ultimately they went to Chechnya and came back. People knew that. There was nothing that could have been suppressed at the time. If it was just up to the government, we might not have found out right away, but... The New York Times, Boston Globe, and others were reporting full long stories with interviews of family members. That's what's happening this time. They've interviewed the Brother Agnosium in Florida. They've interviewed uh, Australian television, has interviewed the, the wife's Miss Danley's sisters. No information is coming out that's helping us figure out anything. But it does appear to be there's not even one scintilla of evidence that the guy is Muslim converted or anything other than what ISIS says. ISIS says he converted a few months ago, but there's no evidence of that. On this side of the equation, on Baghdadi's side, he wants to take credit. Now they're, they're, they're struggling. Uh, ISIS is on the verge of extinction in, in Iraq and almost complete defeat in Syria. So maybe they're trying to make themselves relevant, but on the other hand, they don't claim that much credit for things they don't do. Maybe one or two examples people can find in the last few years in which they claim credit for something that turned out they had nothing to do with. Yes, they're a corrupt organization, but as we put the pieces together, we still need to leave all things open. But I have to tell you, I am sick and tired of Islamists, of leftist operatives and others that simply want to use every, you know, the left is using this again to talk gun control and taking uh, uh, the ability of our Second Amendment freedoms away from us. And no, my Second Amendment's not about automatic weapons and it's not about uh, uh, being able to uh, gather every weapon on the planet. But then again, you talk about original intent of the Constitution, The weapons that we had as citizens when we fought our revolution in America. The musket was the weapon of the citizen and the weapon of the government. Now the military has weapons that we would never even imagine as people to be able to come close to getting. So to have this disagreement about whether what level of weaponry we should have, because of what you can get in the 21st century, still rivals, doesn't even come close to equating to what our military has. So that argument is nonsense. And there's no studies to show at all that limitation on gun ownership has any impact on gun-related deaths. It's obviously the shooter and not what he uses. But that's just simply about guns. You and I are here to talk about Muslim reform, counter-radicalism. What are we reforming? The identity movement is exploiting. And anyone who falls prey to this, that white privilege hashtag, is all about diverting your attention from beginning to unravel the world's biggest threat today, which is political Islam, which is the Islamic State mindset. This week certainly makes sense. We are diverted to pay attention to what the hell happened in Las Vegas. What was that threat? How do we prevent it from happening? Just like uh, Newtown, just like, Colorado, just like the attack on Gabby Giffords and so many other examples unrelated to Islamist terror. Those should be addressed if it's about addressing mental health, if it's about addressing neo-Nazism. Those things should be addressed, but don't mix them with saying that then we should not address political Islam or Islamism. Those are threats that need to be addressed but they each should be addressed separately and not all dismissed because of identity politics. Shame on anyone who puts the hashtag that's a Muslim, an American Muslim that puts out the hashtag white privilege because you are dismissing your responsibility as a Muslim and as an American. Because our jihad should be against jihad. We can't fix the other problems, but we can use this platform that God gave us to unite, to bring together our American community, and show them that they need us to defeat this radical Islamism, and that the days before the attack in Las Vegas, the attack in Edmonton, the attack in Marseille, France, and others are relevant to us, and we will fix it. We will not dismiss it and try to divert attention. This is Zudi Jasser on Reformed. This, and we'll be right back.
0: You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jesser. The Blaze Radio Network. Pat Gray.
1: There's plenty of women in the Republican Party in office. A lot of them. There are blacks, but it's not the Republicans gathered there. It's not their fault that there aren't more Republican people of color because they tend to go to the Democrat Party. Wait a minute. Wasn't the first African-American senator that was elected a Republican? And I think his name course. was him Scott. Hmm. Of course.
0: Pat Gray. Weekdays, noon to 3 Eastern. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser.
1: This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This, in our last segment today. Um, let's end doing a little path, a little walk down, what's exactly happening in the Philippines. Uh, you know, listen, uh, as I've said many times here and on, on media throughout the week, uh, there is not one scintilla of evidence that this this militant was connected to ISIS, that he was Muslim, that there was any evidence of jihadi mentality or anything. He appeared to be uh, a, a non-religious person uh, that uh, obviously uh, had at this point had not one thing connecting him to being Muslim at all, let alone a jihadi militant. And also his wife, no evidence at all. She apparently traveled to Manila, uh, most of northern Philippines. Most of the Philippines are 80% Roman Catholic, uh, so there is uh, no evidence that they had anything to do with Islam or Muslims. Now, having said that, I think just as when we were talking about the Sarnia brothers and others, we talked about where they traveled. Let's talk about the Philippines. The Philippines has an area in the south. Remember, it's Southeast Asia. It's a series of islands. And right to the southwest of it is Malaysia. And then uh, nearby also is Indonesia. Indonesia is the largest Muslim country in the world. 200 million plus Muslims in Indonesia. Indonesia something like 60 to 80 million Muslims in Malaysia. And the southern part of the Philippines is also Muslim-majority. The area of islands in the south that are Muslim-dominated, and there's some areas that are not run by Philippine government laws, but are autonomous Muslim-operating islands in the area of Madanio. And what's really relevant that you should understand about the Philippines is that Marawi... One of the cities in the northern part of that southern Medanio area has been literally at war, no different than Fallujah or or recently uh, what's happening in Raqqa and Aleppo or elsewhere. Marawi was taken over by ISIS. How does that happen? How did Muslims in the South Philippines, in areas that were Muslim-majority in the South there, that most of the 20% of Muslims that live in the Philippines live in the South part there, in the Muslim-dominated areas, they're autonomous. There were something like 12, 13, 15 jihadi groups over the last 30, 40 years. The, the largest one is Abu Sayyaf. The head of Abu Sayyaf is a guy by the name of Hapalon. And Insnian Hapalon was rendered the emir of ISIS by Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, the head of ISIS. So in early 2016, he called him the Emir. And quickly, the jihadi groups that had been at each other's throats in South Philippines had united and begun to fly their ISIS flags and simply declared war on the Philippine government. Now, why it's taken so long for the Philippine government to get rid of them? They, and, and this is a government that is not addressing domestic conflicts the way a Western NATO government would. They had been uh, basically destroying neighborhoods. If you look, uh, many of the areas looked like Aleppo, with the bombings into neighborhoods that the government had had to do. According to them, they had to. Now, it's obviously corrupt. But this summer at Ramadan, Marawi was taken over by ISIS. And now, in 20 miles on the perimeter around that city became a city run by martial law. The Filipino protection forces of the government then lost hundreds of soldiers trying to retake that city. The mosque's minarets were taken over in a obviously militant Islamic way. They were turned into battle stations. The minarets were not used for call to prayers, but for firing upon upcoming soldiers from the Filipino government. And there were jihadists coming from all over the planet, from Chechnya, from Syria, from Iraq, Afghanistan, to fight against the Filipino government and help ISIS maintain that stronghold. Now it appears in the middle of September, Marawi was taken back by the Filipino government. Many reports, New York Times and others, that women and children were being used for suicide as suicide bombers in that war. The Muslims in the community actually were thankful to the Filipino government for having checkpoints. They want to get life back to normal. They'd like to see the decimation of ISIS, but they didn't have the capability to destroy them. And were really trying to help the government to do that. But the number of jihadi groups were rife for the joint. ISIS didn't go in and recruit all these pre-radicalized Muslims into ISIS. They had already been parts of militant jihadist groups, and they just coalesced into ISIS and used this moment to declare war and wanting to declare their autonomous state that had been autonomous but under Islamist rule, not under militant Islamist rule. Now the jihadists had been trying to wrest control, and they declared war to do so. Now it looks like in the past few, there was even a point New York Times was reporting in early September that America, the United States, had been talking about running bombing operations to help them get rid of ISIS and Marawi. So ultimately, this is the picture in which you look at the Philippines. President Duterte as in his second year of a six-year term from 2016 to 22. He is part of, obviously, a, a democratic government because of elections, but yet the corruption, the Uh, The affinity of uh, some of the Philippine actions into a strongman mentality make it uh, uh, quite a weak democracy and very authoritarian and corrupt in many ways. But the battle for Marawi is almost over. But the broader war for terror has entered a new phase that they've gone into guerrilla jungle fighting in those islands. And they may never be able to rid them unless they deployed a significant number of troops into there, which they haven't done. Where do the jihadists come from? This is the issue, is that you can't reform against pre-jihadization in countries that are authoritarian in many ways, and dictatorships like the Philippines, like Malaysia and others now are beginning, even though they're so-called democracies, they're beginning to see more Wahhabization and Salafi jihadization over the last decade because of the petro Islam that's spreading out of the Middle East into Southeast Asia and into Europe and into non Arab lands. This is significant. When I went to Malaysia as part of the US Commission on Religious Freedom, they we met with some of the more liberal groups in Malaysia and the first thing they told us is please stop calling us a moderate country. We're not moderate. Women have had decreasing rights. Muslims are are struggling to implement sharia, not implement liberalism, sharia law, to punish people for drinking alcohol, to punish women for wearing short skirts. They're turning it into a Wahhabi state and an Iranian Khomeini state. But they're Sunni, so it would be more like the Wahhabis. So Wahhabization is the same thing in Bosnia. Bosnia that we liberated in the mid-90s after President Clinton the UN finally woke up to trying to stop the genocide that was happening by Milosevic. Now is many, many orders of magnitude more radical than it was in the 90s. Why? Because of the spread of Wahhabi Islam. So this might all be unrelated in the Philippines to this case. But when you talk about a guy commits an act like what we saw, and we want to know all the facts about where he traveled to, what happened, just like when we look at jihadists and the relevance of what's happening in Chechnya, in Pakistan with the uh, San Bernardino killers, and then with uh, Omar Mateen in Afghanistan, his father who's running for president there. The politics, the geopolitics, and what's happening in the Philippines matter. Now it might turn out he just sent the 100000 because he was feeling guilty, And wanted to send the money to his wife's family. Who knows? She's now telling the the police that maybe he sent it uh, because she knew he was gonna. That was that was his way of saying he was breaking up with her. She had nothing, no idea of the attack that was happening, according to first reports. Nobody knows what the truth is. But the bottom line is is that in the last year or two alone, 23 countries have seen hundreds upon hundreds, if not thousands, of, of deaths due to radical Islamism at the hands of ISIS and their Al-Qaeda affiliates. This is the war we're under. This program is your front line in understanding where, we're, where we are. And I call on us as Americans to come together and to use each of our own skill sets to defeat the ideas that we can defeat each on our own with our own skill sets. So we Muslims will reform against the Islamic theocratic ideology. And if there are other elements of radicalization unrelated to Islam and Muslims that will help preserve against the threats of communism, against neo-Nazism, then we call upon those Americans to wake up and help improve our country to become more unified. But one does not give the other a pass. God bless you all. God bless this country. May God keep us strong and keep us the freest, strongest country on earth. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This.
0: Breaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.